You're listening to Something Real, connecting the reality of God to the realities of life. As you can probably tell, I have a little bit of a cold, so I'll try to make this intro short. Uh, We're a little late this week. Uh, There's some scheduling stuff going on, so this is coming out on Thursday, but we definitely wanted to get it out to you guys because it's a very important discussion. We are still in Luke 19, and the story we're discussing is probably most well-known as the Palm Sunday story. It's when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. Uh, And this past year, uh, during Palm Sunday, we kind of purposefully skirted over Luke's account and, and focused on the other Gospels. So to have this did this discussion from uh, Luke's account was really interesting and made for what I thought was a good talk. So hope you guys enjoy. Good morning. Good morning. It's a Thursday. It is. It's unusual for us to be here on a Thursday. It's an unusual week. Um, it's fair week here in Little... Varying County, which kind of throws everybody's schedule off a I little bit. I thought maybe we were going to do a live remote at the fair. With, the with a cow? On Tuesday. That would be awesome. That would have been cool. I was there. I was there. I got my corn dog. I was too, and we never ran into each other. I ran into your family. Yes. Not, but not to you. So True enough. I will go back and perhaps get Frosted Flake crusted chicken tenders. And crusted, not crusted. That sounds you gross. Can't really, <laughs> can't really go wrong with fair food. <laughs> So, uh, but we are, we are making a commitment to do this, so uh, we are going to, albeit a little bit late, uh, talk about the message from last Sunday, which feels like forever ago now, but uh, let's do it. So thank you for joining us on the live stream if you're watching, um, because this is not our usual time, we're just kind of popping up, so. It does feel a little fresher on Tuesday, doesn't it? It does. A week into it. That's okay, this will be a good, you know, late week. Right. Get back into it. Well, and we're moving forward, you know, we'll be in Luke chapter 20 next week. So, you know, we actually uh, finally got back to Luke and, and finished this uh, this particular part of the story. And so... Which is characteristically, we think of it as Palm Sunday. This, right, this. yeah. So it's a little late in the year. And, and it's interesting, Palm Sunday was our first Sunday in this oh, church yeah. building yeah, when we moved into this locality. And uh, specifically stayed away from Luke's account as much as we could right. that day because we were in Luke's. So and I told you a couple of days ago that actually I, our first podcast was about Luke, about Luke 19. The first yeah, episode I was going to go back and listen to it, and I, I didn't, but I thought well, that was curious. never mind. <laughs> well, we can listen to it afterwards and see if we, so go back if we did well. Yeah, <laughs> it was over a year ago. So anyway, um, yeah, we do typically uh, think of this as Palm Sunday. So, so getting into uh, Luke's account of that when we did kind of purposely avoid that on, on the actual Palm Sunday was... And Luke's account doesn't mention palm branches anyway, so right. it was... No a, big deal. You know. So uh, what is Luke's account here? What was our what was our theme for Sunday? Well, yeah, as we as we get into it, we're, you know, we chose the title, The King Who Comes, and the people were shouting, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. So we kind of focused in on, on that aspect, and as we watched the context of where Luke had been and where he's going, and, and the theme continues of the kingdom of God and Christ's kingdom authority, seeing him as the king uh, and and as specifically the son of God who comes in the line of David, who comes with the authority of God. He's been demonstrating that throughout the gospel, throughout this, this account, um, both in his teaching and in the miracles that he did, in the, the way he continually fulfills prophecy, which is a big focus for Matthew. Mm-hmm. Um, we see that that focus in 
John as well. So Matthew and John really make those connections in there. And we see in Mark the activity happening. With Mark and with Luke, both of those accounts are primarily written toward Gentiles. And Luke, of course, being the only Gentile writer of Scripture, there's a lot of focus that he has uh, on things that would uh, specifically connect to outsiders, to, to Judaism, those who are not a part of, of the Jewish nation, of the Jewish faith, um, but still have the same need that we all have right. to have a relationship with God, which is only available through Christ. And so as, um, as we go through this particular story in Luke 19, um, we see Jesus entering Jerusalem Turn my page back to chapter 19 since I've moved on already this week. Moved on. Uh, uh, so earlier in in 19, uh, Jesus has his encounter with Zacchaeus and, and talks about his reason for being that here. It feels like forever. It does, doesn't it? Because it has been well over a month now. Right. Uh, but as uh, as he encounters Zacchaeus, that, that theme verse really, or what I would consider the theme verse for... Um, the book of Luke, Luke 19.10. I'm not alone in that, by the way. Um, <clears throat> that's not new. I don't have a lot of new thoughts. Uh, but anyway, uh, he goes from this, this statement that the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost into the ter- parable of the ten minas, or, or really the, the parable of the, the nobleman going to be crowned king. And so uh, in a reference to himself, to set people straight on the fact that the kingdom of God is not coming in its fullness right now. He's about to enter Jerusalem. People are expecting him to come as king, mm-hmm. to, to step foot into the, uh, into the city of David, and then all of the prophecies of, of God for David, for Israel, of the Messiah, would all come to fruition. Rome would be overthrown. Jesus would, would step in and, and bring the glory of Israel but their 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 vision of that is their version of what a king is, not not right. Jesus's version of what a king is. Well, or at least not his timeline. And, and right. you and I have talked about that a lot, just in our own personal application of of what God's doing. So often our struggle is not so much that we don't trust God; it's that it's not in our timeline. And so mm-hmm. when it's not in our time guide, timeline, that undermines our trust. We get disappointed with God. Uh, Philip Yancey wrote a whole book on that. Uh, there have been a, a ton of other books along that line, but this this whole idea that God doesn't do what we think He should do when, when we, we want, think right. He should do it, He's uh, it's it's that He's God and we're not. And so Jesus operates in the same way as the Son in the flesh, as God always does. And so He tells this parable of the. The landowner going away to become crowned king, he leaves some people in charge, gives some gifts to do work with. Um, those who are there for him to rule are rejecting his rule. He comes back, rewards the faithful, punishes the uh, the resistant. Punishes is a strong, is, a, is not. Yeah, a, it's just it's going to kill, kill them. kill them in front of me, right? So, and and that's the the fictional parable, but it's telling what's going to happen right. essentially, and so. Now Jesus goes right from that into entering Jerusalem. And as he's coming down from the Mount of Olives on that road, um, the familiar scene of him telling them, go to this house up the street and, and you'll find a, right. a colt there. 
Um, John calls it a specifies the donkey. Luke specifies the colt. It's the colt of a donkey, and um, so they go. They find it as he described. Um, they tell the owners the Lord needs it. They willingly let this this animal go. They put their cloaks over the colt, put Jesus on the colt, and march him into town. I don't know what the disciples were thinking. That, that well, is that's it, yeah. curious to me. I, I, I just wonder, are these guys thinking of Zechariah 9.9 the way the Lord is? You know, And we see now, Luke it records it, Matthew records it, John, I think Matthew and John, if I'm not mistaken, both specifically point out that it's a fulfillment of that prophecy. I don't know that they were thinking that at the time, and maybe they were, maybe they weren't, <clears throat> but it is. And they do, and Jesus comes into town, and the people come out, and they hail him as king, and they throw their cloaks down as if this king is is ascending the hill to Jerusalem, and uh, and Jesus lets them. So they mm-hmm. get it; they know they are welcoming him as king. It's not an accident, and right. they say specifically, "Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord," and they declare peace in heaven and and glory to the highest, or glory in the highest, which feels a lot like. What we see in Luke two, right. as the the angels are speaking to right. the shepherds and declaring that, you usually you, hear that you, phrase at Christmas. Yeah, time. you kind of hear the right. echo of that in there. So um, the Pharisees are they're as usual they're tripping and like, what what's going on, teacher? You know, rebuke your disciples. How dare they say this? They're calling you the Messiah. That's not overtly stated, but it's implicit to the statement. Right. They the the Pharisees get it. They understand what is being done here, that he is entering as king, that he's being hailed as king, they, that the people are seeing him as the promised one, the Messiah, the son of David. Um, and they're not happy about it. And so Jesus says, I tell you, uh, this is from verse what, 40. Yeah, verse 40. Uh, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And so as he is being received as king, um, that they're, the people are praising him because they saw miracles. They, right. they see temporally. So all they know is Jesus is offering them, by their estimation, what we might in today's jargon call your best life now. You know, so if we, if we see this guy who can give us stuff, who can provide Do for all this us, stuff. and he's going to come and he's going to kick out the bad guys right. and he's going to establish... You know his great kingdom. He's going to put on the you know the white cowboy hat and, and kick all the all the corrupt people out of town. And you got to stop watching so many. John I don't Wayne. think that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> just bought a truck. I, you're in, you're in the moment. You know? So anyway, uh, as as they're looking to, to Messiah, all they're seeing is the temporal aspect of Messiah. Mm-hmm. And the glory of Israel now, and the the removal of oppression in the Romans in particular now. But Jesus isn't. He has just made it clear in, in his uh, parable that's not how this goes. I'm going to go away, then I'm going to come back, and in the meantime, you got work to do. Uh, and, and at numerous points along the way, he said this: the Son of Man will suffer and be rejected by this generation before the kingdom comes. So, <clears throat> anyway, as they invite him or as they welcome him i don't know invite isn't the right word um we see them uh receiving him as king because of this he didn't stop them because 
this was the right time. This was the ordained right. time. Right. Previously, he'd he'd tell people, you know, don't say anything. Keep this to you know. Right. Because he had work to do to <laughs> right. get to Jerusalem right. to establish his identity and who he was. And now we're going to see throughout his time in Jerusalem, he doubles down on all of this. So the the authority that has been established, uh, the credentials through not only his teaching but specifically through the miracles uh, that he's established in the first 18, 19 chapters here. Now we see him coming right into it. Here's my authority. I'm established in, in chapter 20. The leaders are going to question his authority. He's not going to answer them directly, but then he will, right after that, refer to himself as the son coming on behalf of the father, being rejected by the evil people. And they, and they know he's talking about them. So he gets this whole, um, this whole reception as king not really because they fully understand, but they understand at least in part. And, mm-hmm. and then they'll get it later on. The Pharisees get it in part, and they're mad about it. And the crowd gets it in part, and they're excited about it. <clears throat> but it was, it was right nonetheless because he actually is king. If this had been someone else, if, you know, if it were any of the other numerous people who claimed to be Messiah in the previous 400 years... Uh, and, and even into this time, there, there are lots of folks who claim to be Messiah, and that continued throughout the New Testament period. It continues to today. Mm-hmm. We see the same kind of thing. If any of them had received this praise, it would actually be blasphemy. It would be exactly what the Pharisees thought. But it wasn't because he actually is king. And so it's right and appropriate for him to be praised and glorified that way. So even if we don't get it, even if we don't believe it, even if we don't accept it, he is nonetheless king. And that does, it doesn't change, it's not diminished based on our rejection of that. And he's not more king because we believe it. And sometimes we get kind of caught up in the foolish thinking that, um, you know, that my belief determines stuff. So, you know, we we need to protect our religious beliefs because I believe this and therefore... It's my right to believe it, and, and you know my beliefs are better your, than your beliefs and all the strength. The, the fact of the matter is what you believe has very little to do with anything in reality right. except for your reaction to reality. So what is, is. You know, what, we're indoors right now doing this. I can't see out any windows because they're colored in here. But if, right now I believe that it's not raining outside. That has no relevance on whether or not it is actually raining right. outside, and my belief doesn't change it. Right. If I suddenly confess or profess that, yes, it is raining right now, that doesn't make it rain. Right. Far too often we've fallen into that sort of a trap, in, especially in, in what we might call the prosperity gospel. So much of the, the name it, claim it ideas, if we, if we speak positivity into the universe, we somehow have this creative yeah. power. And that's just not at any point ever a picture we see in Scripture, nor is it something that is reflected in the experience of reality that we that we see every because day. Because that's relying on me. And, it is. And some, you know, cosmic universal connection that I have to whatever. Right. It becomes just putting Christian labels right. on a... On, on, some sort of a, a new age or a tribal kind of approach to things. There's a, a 
sort of at times even a pantheistic thing mm-hmm. that, that God is out here everywhere and he's in everything. And if we can just learn how to manipulate it, how to use the force, so to speak, then, then we can manipulate God. We can get God to do our bidding. That's not him. That's not how any of this works. Right. So he, he receives that praise and we see that once again, it's the father's joy. It's the father's pleasure to to just heap glory on the son to glorify the one that he has sent and in the end in philippians 2 we see that in the end because christ is who he is and because he's the fulfillment of all of the will of god in the end every knee will bow every tongue will confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father this is god's great joy is to glorify the son so it's appropriate and fitting that he would um, that he would receive this praise at that time, and then right after that, as as much as we get, you know, f- caught up in the moment, and uh, I confess, I, I think this is pretty typical of a lot of preachers, as I've been reading some biography stuff lately uh, of uh, Spurgeon and, and a lot of these great preachers in the 19th century, uh, that so many dealt with depression on Mondays, you know. So mm. you get done with your your preaching event. Uh, which usually involved Sunday morning and Sunday night, and uh, sometimes multiple services mm-hmm. involved. <clears throat> it, it's it's um, just astonishing how often you come down off that moment and, and you're emotionally exhausted, you're mm-hmm. physically exhausted, and you feel like, wow, what a failure I am. You know, this, or you know, far too often I think when things are great and you've got a big crowd and everything is is good, then you get caught up in that emotion. Boy, how, how good am I? Right. You know, what, a, what a great preacher I am, and all those kinds of things. And we ride that emotional roller coaster. We never see that with Jesus. He never rides that emotional roller coaster. Well, that's coaster. what I was going to say. I always found it interesting, and I realize you know, we're not into the, the, uh, the crucifixion yet, but for him to be going through all of this now and know what's coming, yeah. like literally anyone else would have been freaking out <laughs> well, you know or, or something yeah, i don't even i don't even know and, and what i would have done at that point i certainly and at I, this point wouldn't you be excited you just like the whole town is out here you you are the parade yeah but Everybody if i knew in a few days you. then i was that was going to happen to me i don't know how i would react i don't i don't know and and in the midst of that the interesting thing to watch is that jesus he does react. In fact, we oh, see sure, tears, right, yeah. but his reaction isn't about, isn't about what's him. going to happen right. to him. And it's not about while the people are, are praising me because he knows our hearts. He right. gets it. He, you know, where we don't, he does. He understands that the people aren't there yet. They don't fully understand it. And I would submit that possibly the majority, but for sure, a lot of these people won't get it. Mm-hmm. Won't, won't be in heaven when it's all said and done. That's something that that strikes me as I think about it. You're out there praising Jesus publicly, and yet you may not even be in relationship with him. You may have have no real connection to the grace of God. And that's where he weeps heading right. into Jerusalem. And his it's, desire for a relationship with us is that deep yeah. that he's weeping about it. He is. He's, he's weeping. He's like, not, oh, I'm weeping because I'm going to die. If it's, you just right. got it. Right. Right. But you don't, and, and your eyes are blinded, and there's this veil covering your face that keeps you from seeing the truth mm-hmm. that God has made a way for you to have peace with him, and I'm it, and I'm here. And rather than receiving me, you're rejecting me. Right. 
And that's you know, what breaks his heart. Not, right. not I'm terrified that I'm going to die. No, in fact, he knows that's part right, and parcel. Right. Of it. In fact, the the rejection of him is is what right. brings that about, right. which brings salvation to the rest of us. Right. So there is there's a, a just I don't know if paradox is the right word, but there's a, a just a mystery to it in, in in seeing how the thing that breaks his heart is that they're rejecting him, and they're rejecting him is what gives all of us right. outside of Jerusalem the right. opportunity to be able to receive this grace because Christ paid the price for us. The rejection that God owes to us, God owes us rejection and condemnation, mm -hmm. that's falling on him through the people. And then eventually on the cross when God himself, God the Father, turns from the Son, so to speak, accepts the sacrifice but rejects the Son because he's rejecting our sin. Jesus takes all of that for us. And while we see him in weeping in the garden, because this is hard, and, yeah. you know, I think in that's his humanness, a huge you know, understatement right, right. That, that in his humanness, this is hard. Yeah. But we never see a hint of regret. Right. In the midst of his weeping then, he says, nonetheless, Lord, right. your, your will, not mine. Right. right? So <laughs> here... Okay, thanks for the praise. Not really even that. You know, it's like right. the, you need to acknowledge the rightful king. Right. And this, this is the, and this is the time to do that. Right. And it's not about, you know, oh, I feel good. It has no relevance to him because he is rested in truth completely. For him, it's about purpose, not about popularity. And he's here to seek and to save the lost. He's here to sacrifice himself on the cross for our sins, to save the people. And he weeps because the people won't be saved. Everything in this, I mean, it's Jesus, so everything in general from the time he's born, but everything in this section from, from Palm Sunday here to the resurrection is so strikingly opposite of human nature to me. Well, it is. It's God nature. Right. You know, when we see But when it, you see... He is the perfect right. reflection of God the Father. Right. And we are an imperfect... We, as Christ followers, are an imperfect reflection of Him. So we are not, by any stretch, a perfect reflection of God the Father. Literally nobody would do this. A, a person. Right. Yeah. And react this well, way and, and whatever. And, you know, when Jesus says that, you know, we don't... Um, try and lean way back in this chair, fall over. Uh, <laughs> so as... As Jesus says, you know, we don't lay our lives down for people. We just don't. Right. You know, no, nobody does that. You know, maybe, possibly, somebody might lay their life down for a good person because there's a cause, there's a nobility to it. Right. But you don't lay your life down for your enemy. You don't lay your life down. You don't sacrifice your you life. You certainly don't lay your life down for people who are rejecting you. For, for who? You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, those who are, who are not sorry, who are right. not seeking forgiveness— uh, it, it, think about the fact that he's dying for people who are, you know, the, for people who the are killing him. Sinners. He's dying Kill, for the people who are putting him, him up there, killing right. others, right. abusers, oppressors, mm -hmm. you know, liars, cheats. Mm -hmm. He is, you know, whatever the worst part me, of society you. you can think of. Yeah, me and you. Um, <laughs> so that's pretty gross, right? Those are the people that he is dying for. Right. And he's doing just, it willingly. Right. It just hits me that that's just so against what people are we wouldn't you right. know, we get cut off you know at the intersection and we get mad right you know you wouldn't die for that person at the intersection <laughs> you know i almost i was coming home from the fair last night and i was out uh 
people who are not from our area would not even recognize him. But I'm coming down Shawnee from Brian Springs to Bridgman and get to the intersection at Hills Road over in Baroda area. And I'm coming down the road and I'm coming down this hill in the truck I just bought, which is a lot bigger than my little Ford Focus. It's a F F-350, so it's a lot more weight. And I see this van and I'm like, stop, you have to stop, you have to stop. Pulls right out, and, and, and I'm in the truck by myself, I'm like, what is wrong with you? You know, <laughs> That's not the same attitude right. that we see from Christ. Right. That, you know, at that now, moment, I'm not thinking, boy, I want to go to the cross for this person. Right, so, and I would say to you that that would seem like a normal reaction to me, what you said. <laughs> yeah. But that's not... Jesus. Don't get me wrong. I didn't want him to die. No, no, or no. I know. But, I get which, but, but but you know, getting angry for a minute to be like, "What's going on? What are you doing?" or whatever. That's me. I'd say, "Oh yeah, that's how I would react too." Right. That's not Jesus. No, and then when you think about more heinous things, well, sure, you know, right, when right, you right, think right. of you know someone who abuses a child, you know, I I, I hear all these reactions of people uh, uh, that people have to Jeffrey Epstein's death mm-hmm. in prison. The the uh, alleged suicide that, that goes on there. And, and everybody's got all these conspiracy theories and everything else. But what really strikes me is the hatefulness that comes out. And for the most part, we recognize that as justified. This is a, a person who, by all accounts, is a terrible person, terrible sinner. The things that he's accused of, uh, which, you know, n- we're never going to get the... That's one of the gripes is we'll never get the satisfaction of a full conviction and he needs to suffer more. This is a cheap way out for him and all that kind of stuff. But all these people who talk about tolerance and love all the time, and, and yeah. we just don't see it. There, right. it's, there's just a hatefulness, a cry inside of us for justice, which is a reflection of God, for revenge, which is a corruption of that reflection of God, so that, that we want to seek out not just justice but punishment. Mm-hmm. We want to see you suffer. Mm-hmm. This schadenfreude that we have that... that we, we, we thrive on seeing others suffer, for especially for their wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. That's human nature. Mm-hmm. And we can deny it, but it's there. Mm-hmm. And Jesus doesn't have that. Right. At no point does he revel in seeing the Pharisees you know, humiliated. He, he, does, he could. I mean, he could be, ha ha, I got you. Nah, nah, nah. Right. He doesn't do any of that kind of stuff. Every turn, and you and I would think that would be justified, for right? Him to think, you, you know, you can, you could just. If I'm saying the things that Jesus is saying in my mind, there's a real snarkiness right. that, that comes out of right. that. Um, and Jesus is sarcastic at times. There's plenty of times, and he does. I don't know if humiliate is the right word, but he does. He shuts it down because truth needs to. But be not by venerated. playing games. He's being, you know, right? No, it's not for the sake of. Let me humiliate right, you. And let right. me stick the dagger in again. Right. And let me twist it a little right. bit. He's speaking truth. It's truth. Truth matters. And then we walk away and mm-hmm. we, we move on. You and I aren't great at that as, as no. human beings. That's not really no, where we I'd are. No, I'd rather be snarky. And so when Jesus does it, I mean, even like when we forgive people and mm-hmm. then we bring it back up again right. and then we bring it back up again. And, and even if you don't, it's still in the back of your mind. Right. And you're like, I don't fully trust you. Right. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And I forgive you. But I'll never forget. Right. You know, that, that's not God. Right. And so we see, you know, that. that Sorry, I got on that for a long time. No, that's just I, that's just been always. But I the, think that's really the stark contrast that right. we see. One of the one of the beautiful things of the Gospels, in particular, and and the letters, you know, Paul's letters, John, Peter, they they draw out this. But one of the things that we see in the Gospels, I think, one of the great benefits. Ben Shapiro recently uh, asked. 
uh, I think it was Ravi, Ravi Zacharias, what does Christ add to what we already have in, in what he considers scripture? Bet Shapiro is a, uh, a, a, I think, considered an Orthodox Jew, maybe a conservative Jew, but either way, he's, he's a practicing, uh, serious uh, Jew. And as he. Serious Jew. Self described. <laughs> self described. So as. As he's looking at it, he rejects the veracity of the New Testament, uh, that it's not Scripture, that it's not of God, and that it's not ultimately true in, in all of its presentation. And so his thing is, what does Jesus add? And my, my answer to that, I'm shouting at the podcast, <laughs> but I'm, I'm like, Ben, you're missing it. And I would say Jesus doesn't add, he fulfills, he completes. If you just have the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, you end on a very bad note, yeah. as if God has forgotten his people, as, as if God has rejected, because he has. That's where the Old Testament ends. God has rejected his people. Where's the hope? Jesus then fulfills these prophecies, and he is what God has promised. But one of the things that we see as a stark contrast when Christ comes as the full representation of who God is, the, the perfect revelation of himself, we see the starkest contrast in actual human flesh, in human form, between the heart and character of God and the heart and character of fallen humanity. Mm. And so, you know, Paul says in Romans 1 that, that we've suppressed the truth by our wickedness. Our sin has darkened our ability to actually see truth. Jesus opens that. He opens our eyes to that. He sheds light on it. And that causes pain and causes contrast. In, in classical, um, classical art, you have a lot of um, starkness in, mm -hmm. in, the, in how things stand out from things. And, and then when you move into more of a Baroque style, Baroque period, it's much more ornate in the, how they approach it. But the starkness of shadow and light is what tells the story in, in these things. That's what we see here as well. We are shadow people, and he is light. And that contrast is so breathtaking and condemning and convicting. Without him coming to condemn and convict, we already stand condemned. Right. But the presence of that light draws attention to it. Yeah. And in the person of Christ, what would be condemning becomes life-giving. And we are transferred by faith in him. This was his purpose. This was the purifying that he did when he came. We are then transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son. We become light in him. And so when he purifies the temple as the king, coming in saying, hey, this is my house. It's a house of prayer. And you've turned it into a den of robbers. What he's doing is revealing the heart of God. He is purging the temple, which is a place for purity and worship and all sorts of very specific things that we see in the Old Testament, especially in the Torah. He's purging that, much like the Old Testament prophets would have done. Right. But here he's coming in not as a prophet, but as the king himself and saying, this is my house. We're not doing this anymore. And that purging, that purifying is in connection with the compassionate heart of God that, that doesn't rejoice over the death of the wicked, but longs to see repentance and salvation. That picture of who God is revealed to us in the, in the person of the Son, in stark contrast to our own sinfulness, is our only hope. And, and so as we watch that story 
unfold in Luke 19. We, we see that my response to King Jesus determines my destiny 100%. Mm-hmm. I, and we'll see that again, actually. It doesn't actually, change reality. Before. It doesn't. It doesn't affect his destiny right. at all. He is king, and he is destined to receive glory and praise. What I do with that determines whether I'm on his side or I fall under his judgment. I think we'll stop there for today, uh, but uh, thanks for listening to this a little bit late uh, this week. And do you want to give a little preview about what we're doing this coming week? Um, well, if you turn in tomorrow, we're going <laughs> to see similar similar themes come up as as this continues and Jesus' authority is questioned and he has, a, I guess you'd call it a war of words, but it's not really a war because he just... He's Jesus. He's Jesus, right? So uh, he he deals with some things and then we see this concept come up again about our response that how we respond to christ determines everything for us all right so be sure to listen to uh and i guess it'll come out tomorrow so you're getting a kind of a 48 hour 48 hour uh, podcast overload all right thanks for listening everyone